0: Beginning in verse 15, is where we'll be at today. Okay, okay. Hebrews 12, verse 15, okay? Hebrews 12, verse 15. You know, over my 19 uh, plus years in the church, I have seen uh, people have two responses to the notion of being your brother's keeper. Some are thrilled with the prospect of being their brother's keeper. Just the thought of being able to speak into the affairs of others makes their pulse race with excitement. They can't wait to identify a problem in the life of somebody so they can tell them how they need to take care of it. But I think the other response is probably the one more common with the people I've been around anyway because most people in today's culture kind of live by the live by the more common philosophy of well that's none of my business whatever's going on in their life that's their thing they got to wrestle with that this way of thinking says you know the way other people live is up to them and those who follow this philosophy think it's Highly offensive to go asking other people about their business, to go alongside them and find out what's happening. They think it's important just to keep their own nose clean and let others worry about themselves. Which kind of reminds me of the guy who was applying for a job as an usher at a theater in the mall. As part of the interview process, the manager asked him, what would you do in case a fire broke out? And the young guy answered, don't you worry about me. I'll be just fine. That's exactly how many in today's world respond to a lost and dying world around them. If you ask them, What would you do if Jesus came back tomorrow? they would probably respond, Oh, don't worry about me. I'll be just fine. But what is all too easy to forget, brothers and sisters, is that we are ushers. We are all ushers. It's not enough just to get out yourself. You are responsible for helping others to know the way. It's not only completely appropriate for us to be our brother's keeper. It is essential. We all know that we live in a dangerous world where there are all kinds of potential for falling into sin. Peter wrote this in his first letter, right? Be self-controlled. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion doing what? Looking for someone to devour. So we know from uh, the spiritual battles that we face, this is an everyday battle. We know that sin is all around us, a dangerous world. And in the church, there are Christians who have fallen back into the bondage of sin. And we have a responsibility, listen carefully, as a church, We have a responsibility to encourage them to turn from those things and to give themselves wholly back to Jesus and his life of hope and peace. There is not one of us here this morning who has not needed encouragement at one time or another in their life from a brother or sister in Christ. Or perhaps from time to time a loving admonishment or an exhortation. Hey, be careful. Be careful. You're, you're dancing a little too close to the flame. Be careful there. It's not an if- issue of one person being superior to another person. It's simply an issue of one who has their feet on solid ground, reaching out with their hand to assist someone who has lost their footing and you're helping them to come along. And this idea of being there for each other and being responsible for each other, caring for each other, loving each other, as we heard about this morning in Sunday school, is what the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do this morning. Now, the author of Hebrews has been exhorting us, hasn't he, from the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 12. He told us to run with endurance for the course that has been set before us. That we needed to ensure God's loving discipline, or or endure, I should say, God's loving discipline, rather than get discouraged and drop out of the race every time trials come in in our way. Because some of those trials are our own doing. Some of those trials are because others in the world are sinning against us. And some of those discipline is directly from God. Remember, we said the word discipline is correction or instruction. Sometimes we we start going off on our own path. We start justifying our own way. We start heading in our own way. We start doing, we start walking in the way of Cain, as you heard about again this morning, right? Doing what we think is right in our own eyes, kind of moving along our own path. And because God loves us and he knows what will the end result of that will be. He lovingly guides us and corrects us and brings us back to where we need to be. But before he leaves that subject, he shows them and us that we're not running as individuals. We're not competing against each other. This is a marathon, and we're all in this together. We have a responsibility towards one another to help the entire team to finish the race. And then... That's what we looked at last week in verses 12 and 13. So that's where I want to pick it up because this section is all one thing. But these five or six verses here from verse 12 to 17, I want you to pay close attention because it has a huge impact on what kind of church we are going to be. So I want you to, that's why we're spending a little extra time here. I tried to get through all three verses this morning. I'm just forewarning you right now, we'll get through one verse today. Just one. And I'll I'll be watching the clock to make sure I don't push up against that. Look at verses twelve and thirteen. Therefore when we see that word therefore, we ask ourselves, What's the? That's right. It's so enthusiastic. What's the therefore there. Okay. That points us back to what we just read. What did we just read? That great cloud of witnesses that we have in chapter 11. All of those who endured by faith but never received the promise for which they were looking for. Therefore, he said, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather what? Be healed. Be healed. We said last week in verses 12 and 13, to finish this race, we need to help one another. This is the idea of coming alongside and helping your brother. Notice it does not say your hands, or it shouldn't say that in your translation. It should say the hands. Strengthen the hands. There's a definite article there, the hands. And that implies that you're not only to lift your own hands, but you're to go alongside and find other drooping, feeble need believers and help strengthen them. In other words, we are not only to strengthen ourselves to endure, but we are to be looking around us at our brothers and sisters in the, in the body of Christ here, and we should be asking ourselves the question, how can I help them endure? What are they going through? How can I come alongside them? How can I strengthen them as they fight the fight of faith? How can I bring them along all the way to the finish line? We're such an individualistic society, my friends, that it works to the detriment in the church. Because we get so wrapped up in our own little world that we think that's all there is. But your faith is not a solo sport. It was never ever designed for you to live out in solitary confinement. Your faith, your faith was always done in community. It was created that way from the beginning, and guess what? In the end, you're not going to be off on an island by yourself, surrounded by your books, studying God. No, you know where you're going to be? You're going to be with all the other believers in heaven together. So look around you. Get to know your neighbors. You're going to know them for a long time here, okay? Eternity is a long time. This is just the practice run right here. How we learn to love one another. Look at the second half of the exhortation in verse 13. That comes, make straight paths for your feet. We find that same language in Proverbs 4.26. I told you that last week. Uh, Proverbs 4.26, watch the path of your feet and all of your ways will be established. The Greek word here, trocheia, means to make straight paths for your feet, is the idea of leaving tracks or wheel tracks is really what it was designed for. The idea here is that we're leaving tracks for others to follow in that as we're running this race, the, the course that God has set before us, that we're leaving tracks behind us that others can follow. That's the idea. And so the point is you're not only running this race yourself, you're also leaving a track for others to follow. How does the writers want them to go about lifting their weekends? We're lifting the weak hands and strengthening the feeble knees and making straight paths. Well, verse 14 tells us there's two things we need to do. And what we are called to do, those two things at the same time are very difficult to do. Look at verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. Let's stop right there. The first thing we're to do is pursue peace with whom? All men. That means those inside the church and those outside the church, even if they're persecuting you, and I told you that creates a tension, doesn't it? Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So is the author of Hebrews telling us that we need to have peace with all men no matter what the costs? No. See, the inherent problem, at least, that we have with the whole idea of practice of being at peace with all men, and one of the biggest problems is the tendency to compromise our faith and doctrine for the sake of peace. And unfortunately, my friends, I see that more and more around us all the time. And one of the biggest problems is the tendency to compromise that. And some of us want peace with all men so badly that we're ready to compromise our faith to get it. That's not what God has in mind. That's not it at all. Romans 12, 18, when Paul said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What we are called to do is to live our lives peaceably in a way that others may see the love of Christ shining in us and through us. But never are we called to do so at the expense of our faith. The second way we are to be at peace with all men is those inside the body of Christ. And I told you last week, perhaps this is even the most difficult place to apply these words, is when a fellow Christian wrongs you. I think Eric said it well this, this morning when he said, you know, we, we want to love all men, right? We want to love the world in the sense that we want to share Christ with them. We want to love them enough to care enough about them to be able to share the gospel with them so that they too may inherit eternal life. We get nothing out of that. There's no spiritual notch on our gun belt, okay? There's nothing in this for you personally other than the fact of being obedient to what God has commanded you to do, which is to preach the gospel to every living creature. It's not about you. It's about him and his glory. What happens outside the church with unbelievers, we understand that there may be times when they're not loving But when we're not loving inside the church, we find it even harder to take because we are commanded by our Lord to be loving. We're not just trying to be loving. We're commanded. And when that happens, the tendency when you get hurt inside the church is to drop out of the race for a while. Withdraw. I told you last week that when we withdraw and we put all those bricks around us and we build that wall so high all the way around us until we can barely reach it. We put that last brick in there and then we look around and we realize we're the only ones inside and we have a wall around us and nobody can get to us. And so what we think is what we're doing is helping us to not be hurt anymore. One day we realize that there's nobody there to help either. The... So but rather than dropping out, the author of Hebrews says we must do what? Pursue peace. That word pursue is a very vivid word. I told you that means to hunt down like a hunter tracks its prey. You're not supposed to casually look for peace with one another. You're supposed to work at it. You're to pursue it. You're to go after it. Now, might I add that sometimes it's better when you've been hurt in the midst to give a little bit of time to pray to seek counsel, to seek godly wisdom, to ask God for discernment so that your response is a testimony of who you are in Christ. But don't let that go on forever. Don't isolate yourself to the point where you're never seeking peace with them. That's not what God had in mind. Secondly, in the second part of verse 14, he said, "'Pursue peace with all men.'" and the sanctification, some of you may have the word holiness there, without which no one will see the Lord. I guess there was quite a bit of buzz before the sermon last week about what does that mean? Does that mean if I don't pursue peace or I don't pursue sanctification that I won't be saved? No, that's not what that means. The idea here of pursuing sanctification with one another Again, the word holiness here is that you would be striving and pursuing for moral purity both inwardly and outwardly. What that's pointing to is this, is your heart, that your heart is growing in conformity to God's standards of purity and holiness. How do you do that? It's by surrendering more and more to the leading of the Holy Spirit. By washing yourself in the water of the word. By serving and loving one another in the body of Christ by putting other needs ahead of your own. The ought, this ought to be an aspiration of the Christian life for all of us. Every true believer wants to be more like Jesus, not so that we can do enough that God will accept us, because you'll never be able to do enough for God to accept us in your own righteousness, my friends. We are only accepted before God because of Christ's righteousness. Righteousness which is credited to you and I by faith. And the consequences of that life are that we grow in grace. And as we grow in grace, we strengthen others around us and we leave a path behind us that others can follow as they strive through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that glorifies God. Now, those are the things we're all supposed to be doing to encourage one another. That's the positive side of the ledger. But he also tells us There's some things you should not be doing also. There's some things we need to watch out for with each other. So that we do not do them and thus not finish the race. What I mean by that is if you're a professing believer but never really truly surrendered your life to Christ. By by doing some of these things here that others have done. You could fall out of the race it's like the parable to soils isn't it right say that you accept christ then all of a sudden trials and and uh persecution comes your way and then boom you fall out he said don't do that don't be that if you're a believer you're already secure in christ then what the author of hebrews is concerned about is that you won't finish well he wants you to finish well where you hear those words well done My good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. So we help one another. We pursue peace with one another. We pursue holiness together so that we can finish the race. Now let's look at what we should be on the lookout for with one another in the remainder of our text this morning. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the truth of your word. Lord, these texts are so practical that we just skim over them. And, Lord, we have the tendency to go, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm there. But I don't think that's what you had in mind here. Lord, I believe that these words are here to challenge us to think about someone other than ourselves in this race, this marathon, this agonia, that we are in together. And I pray, Lord, that if it be your will this morning, that our hearts would be convicted. And that as we hear your words, we wouldn't just say, oh yeah, I can think of five or six people who need to do a better job with that. But rather we would ask ourselves, oh Lord, what would you have me do with this? How can I apply this to my life? to bring you honor and glory. That's our heart's desire, Lord. That's truly what we want here this morning. Help us, Lord, through the ministry of your word, the ministry of your Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's look at verse 15 together, shall we? See to it. See to it. If you had a little pencil or a pen in there, you want to circle that word, those three words. See to it or underline them. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Let's stop right there. How do you fall short of the grace of God? Point number one we fall short of the grace of God when we stop ministering to one another. What does it mean to fall short of the grace of God? Careless disregard. There's carelessly disregarding the grace that God has made available to you in and through his provisions. What are the provisions that God has given you as a believer? We talked about this last week. He's given you his holy word. He's given you truth. He has given you an advocate in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for you. Do you... Access the advocate through prayer? Do you cry out to him? Do you share with him what's on your heart? He's also put other believers in your path for the specific purpose of ministering to you. And then he brings you all together. You didn't think you were here by happenstance, did you? God brings you all together, all of us together and gives each of us at least one spiritual gift, not for us, but for each other, so we can minister to one another. Why? Because God knows that we need each other. And not only do we need to help each other, we need to minister to one another as well. Let me tell you this, our capacity to understand God's Word and to experience the fullness of His grace is vitally linked to your participation with all the saints. It's not just you and you alone. God wants you to experience the richness, the fullness of his grace, and that is done in community, together. Do not forsake the assembly, brothers, and even more so as the day of the Lord approaches. It is in the rich community together. I mean, when I'm rich, I'm talking about spiritually rich, that we experience grace upon grace. Notice the beginning of that sentence I had you underline. See to it. That's an unusual word. It is a word that is used only here, and a version of it in 1 Peter 5.2. It is a word that is used to referring to elders. There are three words in the Greek that refer to elders. There's episkopoi which means bishop. There's presbyteros, which means overseer, or elder. And there's poimen, which means shepherd. And they're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. The noun form of this word is the word used a bishop or episcopi, overseer. But what's interesting here is he's not speaking to the pastors and the elders. He's actually speaking to you. He's speaking to the whole congregation in this text. It's used in the plural form. It's directed to all of us. It's a plural command, making it everybody's responsibility to make sure no one misses the grace of God. The idea here is all of you act like overseers for each other and see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Or in other words, you are your brother's keeper. You are. You are to be your brother's keeper, longing for his or her appropriation of grace. Which means that we are called to some sanctified involvement in each other's lives. That probably just sent a shiver up your spine, didn't it, in our individualistic society? What does that mean, sanctified involvement? I'm not talking about gossiping and busybody, and I'm not talking about that, God forbid. I'm talking about you intentionally loving each other and seeking each other out to minister to one another. We must consciously involve ourselves in the body of Christ, assuming responsibility for each other to go on in grace and to humbly receive also the loving grace that they provide to us in our time of need. It works both ways. Beloved, we all need grace to finish the race. All of us. None of us are exempt. You should want to see people embraced by grace. You should care about one another's souls. You should want to see people obtaining God's grace. You should want to see people having faith in God's promises. That should be a congregational concern, not just a pastor-elder. Incidentally, those words are all interchangeable, like I said before. They're just different functions of the same office. We need to make sure no one drops out of the race. And if someone seems to be lagging behind or they have fallen, the ones who, who see it should go back and help them get back up and to finish the race. That's the idea here. I believe one of the main reasons we don't do this as often as we should is we know there are things in our own lives that aren't right. And so we're like, ah, we're afraid that if we try to help someone else, they will point out our faults. But you don't need to be spiritually perfect to help your brother or sister deal with some sin or spiritual danger in their life, my friends. Because if you had to be perfect, no one... No one, including your pastors and elders for sure, would be able to help anybody. The requirement is you need to be walking with the Lord and confronting sin that crops up in your own life. And then if you see a fellow believer heading for spiritual trouble, you come alongside them and you help them get up and keep running the race. So keep your place in Hebrews here and turn back a couple of books to Galatians. I guess it's more than a couple. Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. What does Paul tell? I'm in Ephesians. I want to know what he says to the Galatians. Here we go. Galatians 6, 1. I was like, this does not look right. Okay, brethren. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, what does that mean? Sin? All of you elders and leaders of the church and deacons, you should be the one who restores such a one in a spirit. Is that what your translation says? No, my translation doesn't say that either. What does it say? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's who it is. Notice, he doesn't direct that verse just to the leaders of the flock. He says, you who are spiritual. Who are those who are spiritual? They're the ones in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26 that he just got done talking about. You know what you find in Galatians 5, 22, and so on and so forth? Those who live by the fruit of the Spirit. If you, It refers to those who walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. They who are spiritual. It doesn't say you who are super spiritual, you who don't have any spot of sin in your own life. It says that these are people who are aware of their own propensity towards sin. Notice it says, each one looking to yourself. That's who these people are. They know that we are a sinner saved by grace, just like their brother and sister next to them, but they're coming alongside and helping to restore them. How do they do that? With a spirit of gentleness and humility. Why gentleness and humility? Because they know, there but by the grace of God go I. I could be struggling with that same exact sin in my life. That's not my peccadilloes. I got another whole group of peccadilloes over here. That's an old word, right? In other words, I got my own basket of sins I'm wor- I'm working through with the Lord. But I know by God's grace that they don't rule over me. And so I'm working through them. But that doesn't stop me from helping another person who's dealing with another sin in their life that I don't happen to be struggling with. They don't condemn the one who's falling. They seek to restore them. Their aim is to help the other person get back into the race and finish. And this takes an entire congregation that is looking for those who are struggling and then intentionally seeking them out to help. Beloved, this church will only be as healthy to the degree that every member who is spiritual helps restore those who are weak so that they stay in the race. And while the elders and pastors seek to shepherd the flock, there is no way as we continue to grow that we could do that for every single person, just us three. It's a community look out for each other. You are responsible to help anyone you know in the body of Christ specifically, but even beyond that. Spiritual help almost always is most effective when it flows through an existing loving relationship. When you know the person who's coming alongside you genuinely cares about you, genuinely wants you to not fall into further sin, but genuinely cares enough and loves you enough to come alongside you again see to it is not to the elders it's to us it's to all of us in the body of christ it's to you that means you are in the ministry you may not think you're in the ministry but you are all in the ministry you're in the ministry of loving one another as christ loves his church Every single one of us in the body of Christ. There's not a person here who's exempt from that. You have a responsibility to come alongside, to encourage and strengthen each other. Okay. Point number one, we fall short of the grace of God when we stop ministering to one another. Now you know why we won't do the last two verses. Go back into Hebrews 12, verse 15, the second part of that. So the first part, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Here's the second part. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So secondly, we're told congregationally to be on guard against bitterness. Point number two, we fall short of the grace of God when we are bitter and unforgiving. We fall short of the grace of God when we're bitter and unforgiving. That term, root of bitterness, is actually used way back in Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. And in the context of that passage, Moses is warning the people of Israel about idolatry. He doesn't want there to be any in Israel whose hearts turn away from the Lord, who go and serve the gods of other nations, small g, that there will will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. That's the quote from Deuteronomy 29, 29 18. So the root of bitterness primarily refer, refers to a bitter person in the church who has turned away from God and will cause trouble and defile many in the church if it's not addressed, if we don't come alongside them. And usually this person is going through some severe trials, and in their mind, God just isn't delivering them. He's just not moving fast enough. He seems to have not been listening to their prayers. But rather than submitting to God's sovereignty, or perhaps even discipline, if that be the case, in that trial, they're growing bitter against God, thinking, this isn't fair. What kind of God would allow me to suffer like this? Not that suffering hasn't been going on since the beginning of creation, or since the fall at least, The question is, why is there suffering? Why would a good and gracious God allow suffering? The real question that they want answered is, why did God allow a good and God and sovereign, wise God allow suffering for me? Didn't really, I mean, I was concerned about it when it was going on over here. But now, it got moved way up the priority ladder because you're talking about me now. I'm the one who's suffering. After all, what did I do to deserve this? I'm one of the good ones. And that kind of bitterness, if not addressed, caused the believer all kinds of trouble, easily spreads throughout the church. You know, in our old house, we had a big old cottonwood tree, which I hated, incidentally. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, it was a righteous anger. Uh, Anyway, it was left there by the city. They graciously left it for us to deal with. They put it inside. uh, It was next to the sidewalk in our new house. But through time, the roots of the tree, if you've ever had a cottonwood, they're they're massive. And it grew up underneath the sidewalk. And we were there for 17 years. And at first, we we didn't know what was going on. We didn't see anything. And then pretty soon, we saw a slight crack in the, well, how did that happen? Then the other sidewalk was cracking. And then pretty soon, it started to buckle. And by the grace of God, uh, we moved into the parsonage, away from that, and uh, Todd ended up uh, dealing up, dealing with that problem. But here's what happened. The roots became so strong, it actually lifted up two complete slabs of concrete, almost in half. It moved it right. I mean, you couldn't even walk over it or drive over the kids with a bike. The roots were so deceptive and they just slowly kept displacing the cement until it finally broke them in half and that same is true when we allow bitterness to take root in our hearts. It's the same thing. That's why Proverbs 4:23, "Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life." This is especially important when you're going through trials. Bitterness always occurs when in the hard circumstances of our life, we stop believing in the goodness and kindness of God's providence. And when we do, when we become bitter, it becomes contagious and infectious and it can impact an entire congregation. And so again, he says, see to it that you are ministering to one another so that bitterness does not take root and spread in a congregation like some sort of destructive root. In June of 1966, you may recall this, there was a movie about it maybe 10 years ago. Uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter was a very prominent boxer, and he, along with an acquaintance, were convicted of murder in a really highly publicized and racially charged trial. And the boxer maintained his innocence and became his own jailhouse lawyer. And After serving 19 years, he was released when the verdict was overturned. And as a free man, he reflected, wouldn't anyone under those circumstances be bitter? He just lost, in the prime of his life, 20 years, roughly. He said, wouldn't anybody be bitter? But I've learned that bitterness only consumes the vessel that contains it. See, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person gets sick. It's destructive. It's deceptive. He says that for me to permit bitterness to control or infect my life in any way whatsoever would be to allow those who imprison me to take even more than they've already taken. Because while you're struggling and carrying the weight of bitterness, they're moving on with their life. And you are the one who keeps dealing with it over and over and over again. That's why bitterness can be so devastating to you and to the entire body of Christ. My friends, clearly the writer of Hebrews thinks that God's people have a real responsibility towards one another, doesn't he? He just keeps hammering this back and forth. And by the grace of God, the apostle John keeps doing the same thing in 1 John 3. So you're getting a double dose of this every week. We are to be on the lookout for those among us who have become, or perhaps are becoming, bitter within the body of Christ. It might be because of something that has happened in their life, or it might be because of something that hasn't happened that they were hoping would happen in their life. It might be a consequence of someone sinning against them, or it might be a consequence of their own sin, or a combination thereof. But we are to be on the lookout for such things in one another's life, to address them as they surface, because the consequence of not doing so is detrimental to their own walk and even to the body of Christ collectively. Because if you look at the way the writer puts it here, he's saying this could be a precursor to someone who's only made a profession of faith from falling away from the faith. And we know from Hebrews 6 what the consequences of that are, don't we? That's horrible. If that's true, and I think it is, then when we see that sort of thing taking place, we need to act. We need to act for the sake of the person in question, for the sake of the whole body, which is in danger of being negatively impacted or defiled, as the writer of Hebrews says. And as the member of the body of Christ, you are responsible... You are responsible to make sure that no bitter root springs up and defiles your own life or those around you in the body of Christ. Once again, this isn't just a challenge for us to be on guard against bitterness in our own lives. That's how we usually read that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, i got to make sure I'm not bitter. Okay, got it. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. Once again, it's not just about you. You were given this gift You have this treasure in earthen vessel that you are to be investing in others. It's not just about you. Bitterness is contagious. That's why it's such a congregational concern. All right, what have we learned so far? We've learned that Pastor Ron can barely get through one verse when it's really hard-hitting. That's what we learned, but you already knew that. The overall message seems to be to be concerned and care for one another and ensure that no one comes short of the grace of God. And of all of God's gracious provisions, his word, Jesus Christ, prayer, the Holy Spirit who indwells you, other believers and the body of Christ together, the provision of the body of Christ is probably the one in our culture that we overlook the most. I got my Bible, doing my prayers. Doing my quiet time. Check, check, check. Loving your neighbor? Skip. Let me come back to that one. And yet, it is just as essential and in certain times of our life, may I just tell you this, it may be even more essential to us than all the other provisions. Because when you're really hurting, when you're really struggling, Boy, it makes a world of difference when you have the body of Christ around you. We need to make sure we don't fall short of the grace of God. And point number one, we fall short of the grace of God when we stop ministering to one another, not just caring about them, but ministering. Secondly, we need to constantly be on the lookout for the roots of bitterness in our church. Those that become bitter and unforgiving in the church are in great danger of falling short of the grace of God. They're also in great danger of doing great damage to in the body of Christ. How? By seriously hindering and discouraging God's people from running the course God has set before them. Point number two, we fall short of the grace of God when we're bitter and unforgiving. You'll hear more about that next week because we get a real-life example of what bitterness looks like when it's played out in the life of Esau. Now, to illustrate these concepts of caring for one another as we close helping one another in our times of need so we can all finish the course set before us, I want to share with you one of my favorite infomercials. You've probably all seen this infomercial about the Special Olympics. They have a group of runners there. They've been training for four years, just like every other Olympian. But they all have a variety of challenges, and they're all lined up to run the sprint together. And everyone is progressing down the track when all of a sudden, one of the runners goes tumbling down. And at that point, something remarkable happens. The entire field of runners stop where they're at, and they go back to the one who has fallen down. And they lift her up, and they lock arms together, and they finish the race together. My friends, that is a picture of what the author of Hebrews is telling us here today. That's how the church is supposed to be operating. We are not like the world that would continue on and never look back and go, I'm glad that wasn't me. I've been training for four years. So I got my medal. The church, beloved, we're to have a different view. Oh my goodness. One of my brothers or sisters has fallen and they need my help. Beloved, it may be you that's the helper the first few times, but I guarantee you, sooner or later, you'll be the one being helped. And there will come a time when you need your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you will thank the Lord for his provision of a loving church family who stopped and carried your burdens for you and locked arms with you and walked across the finish line together with you. There's not a single person here who will finish this race alone. We need each other to finish the race. Beloved, I pray that that's the kind of church that we are. That's my prayer every day. I want PBC to be the kind of church that loves one another like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the challenge of your text. Oh, this is hard for us when we hear things like this because we know, we know, Lord, as much as we're doing, there's probably more we could do. We know, Lord, we have a tendency to put our own needs ahead of others. We have a tendency to kind of keep marching through our own life and barely look back in the rearview mirror. There might be one stumbling or falling who needs our help. Where we can come alongside them and lift them up and lock arms with them and smile as we cross the finish line. There's a reason, Lord, that you put us together in a community that we're not just out there flying solo. It's because we need each other. And you have given us provisions to minister to one another as well. Father, may that be our heart here at Portage Bible Church. May it be the heart of everyone who's sitting here now and those listening at home. May that be their heart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.